0: Some 23 years ago, my brothers and sisters, as a very young man I was called to serve as the bishop of a very large ward or congregation of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The magnitude of the calling was overwhelming and the responsibility frightening. My inadequacy humbled me, yet I bear witness that our Heavenly Father, did not leave me to wander alone, in silence, uninstructed, or uninspired. In his own time, he would reveal the lessons he would have me learn. For example, late one evening my telephone rang. Upon answering, I heard a voice say, Bishop Monson, this is the hospital calling. Kathleen McKee, a member of your congregation and a patient here at the hospital, has just passed away. Our records reveal that she left no next of kin. However, your name is shown as the person to be notified in the event of her passing. Could you come down to the hospital and aid with the necessary arrangements? Upon arriving, I was handed a small white envelope which contained the key to the apartment in which this good woman lived. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She was about 73 or 74 years of age, a childless widow. Actually, she enjoyed precious little of this world's luxuries and scarcely sufficient of its necessities. In the twilight of her life, she had become a member of the Church. Actually, we knew very little about her own private life. Upon going into her apartment that evening, key in hand—the tidy little basement home that it was—I turned on the light switch and presently saw a letter resting face-up on a tiny table. The letter was written meticulously in Kathleen McKee's own hand, and it read, Dear Bishop Monson, I think I shall not return from the hospital. In the upper drawer of the dresser is a small insurance policy which should care for my funeral expenses. My furniture may be given to the neighbors. In the kitchen, on the table, are my precious, prized canaries. Two of the canaries are beautiful, yellow gold in color, perfectly marked. The names of friends to whom they may be given appear on the cages. In the third cage is Billy. He's my favorite. Would you and your family make a home for Billy? He appears a bit scrubby, and his yellow hue is marred by a patch of gray on his wings. He isn't the prettiest, but his song is best. In the days that followed, I learned a great deal more than I had known about Kathleen McKee. I found that she had been a friend to neighbors in need. I discovered that almost daily she had paid a visit to a lonely cripple who lived down the street. Like her little yellow canary with gray on its wings, Kathleen was not blessed with beauty, gifted with poise, or indeed honored by posterity, but a true song came from her heart. Everyone whom she knew was better able to bear their burdens and more ably shoulder their tasks because they knew her. She literally lived the words of the little verse, Go visit the lonely, the dreary. Go comfort the weeping, the weary. Oh, scatter kind deeds on your way, and make the world brighter today. Actually, in the world in which we live, we find it is filled with yellow canaries with gray on their wings. The difficulty is that so precious few of them have learned to sing. Perhaps the notes of proper example have not sounded in their ears or found lodgment in their hearts. Some of them are young people who don't know who they are, or what they want to be, or indeed what they could become. They are afraid, and they don't know of what. Some are angry, and they don't know at whom. Others are rejected, and they don't know why. In reality, all they want to be is somebody. In other categories, we find those who are stooped with age, some burdened with care, filled with doubt, living lives far below the level of their capacities, Isn't it true that you and I are probably prone to excuse our own lack of performance by blaming our own misfortunes, our handicaps, our so-called disfigurements? Victims of our own rationalization, we say silently to ourselves, I'm too weak. I never was cut out for better things. Others soar beyond our accomplishment, and then envy and disappointment take their terrible toll. Can we not appreciate that our true business in life is not to get ahead of others, but to get ahead of ourselves, to beat our own records, to outstrip our yesterdays by our todays, to bear our trials more beautifully than we ever dreamed we could, to give as we have never given, and to do our work with such a force and such a fine finish that we do excel? To live greatly, we need to develop the capacity to meet trouble with courage, disappointment with cheerfulness, and, I would add, even triumph with humility. You may quickly say to me, but how? And I would respond equally as rapidly by developing a true appreciation of who we really are. For you and I, we are sons and daughters of Almighty God created in his own image—think of that truth—created in the image of God. We cannot really have that knowledge without experiencing a profound new sense of strength and power—even the strength to keep the commandments of God and the power to turn from the temptations of that evil one. We recognize that we live in a world, unfortunately, where moral character, is oftentimes relegated to a position secondary to facial beauty or personal charm. We read and we hear of local, national, international beauty contests. Throngs pay tribute to Miss America, Miss World, Miss Universe. Athletic prowess, too, has its following. What with, well, for example, the Winter Games, the World Olympics, the tournaments of international acclaim, which bring forth the thunderous applause of the enthralled crowd. These are the ways of men. But what are the words of Almighty God? From a time of long ago, and from the lips of a prophet too seldom remembered, even Samuel, there echoes in our ears his words, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, For man looketh upon the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. Sham and hypocrisy, they found no place with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You remember how he denounced the scribes and the Pharisees for their vanity, their shallow living, their pretense, their feigned righteousness. In fact, he called them whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are filled with dead men's bones. They, like the two beautiful yellow canaries, were outwardly handsome, but a true song came not from their hearts. To their counterparts here in America, the master's prophet declared, For behold, ye do love your money, your substance, your fine apparel, the adornment of your churches, more than you love the poor and the hungry, the sick and the afflicted. Oh, why are you ashamed to take upon yourselves the name of Christ? Why do you adorn yourselves with that which hath no life and suffer the hungry and the poor and the naked and the sick and the afflicted to pass by you and notice them not? The master, when he was here in mortality, he could be found comforting the poor and lifting the downtrodden, helping the sick. He taught of a better life, a life yet to come, eternal life, and that knowledge has ever guided every person who has responded to the gentle invitation, Follow thou me. It guided Peter— it motivated Paul. It can help you and me to live the lives that we ought to live. And when we have this knowledge of eternal life, when we have indeed made a commitment to the master of all mankind, I testify that a rebellious boy can become an obedient man. A wayward girl can cast off her old self and become a noble woman. For the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change men's lives. Paul taught this when he spoke to the Corinthians and declared, in truth and in reality, God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. When the Savior was looking for a man of faith, he didn't look for him in the throngs which assembled at the synagogue. No, he found him among the fishermen of Capernaum. you remember the day when he was teaching along the seashore, and he saw two ships by the side of the lake? He entered one, and had its master put out from the shore, that he might not be pressed upon by the crowd. And then he taught the multitude. And after teaching them, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down thy nets. Do you remember Simon's response? He said, Master, all night we have toiled and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And he did so. And when the nets were retrieved, they held a multitude of fishes. Simon fell down at the knees of the Lord and said, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord, came the reply, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Simon the fisherman had received his call. Simon, doubting, disbelieving, impetuous, unschooled, was not to find the way of the Lord a highway of peace or a way free from pain. He was to hear the stinging rebuke, O ye of little faith! And he heard the denunciation, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. But it was Simon who also received the question from the Master, Whom sayest thou that I am? And in the full nobility of his character, Simon Peter responded, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon, man of doubt, had become Peter, apostle of faith. A yellow canary, perhaps, with gray on his wings, had qualified for the undeviating love of the Lord. When Jesus was looking for a man of courage and a man of faith, a man of power, to do missionary work, he didn't find him amongst his advocates, But amidst his adversaries, you remember that Saul of Tarsus made havoc of the church. He breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. But then you'll recall, too, that that was before the experience of Damascus Way. Of Paul, namely Saul, the Lord declared that he was a chosen vessel to bear his name unto the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. Paul was to hear likewise that parenthetical expression, I will show him the great things he shall suffer for my name's sake. Saul the persecutor became Paul the proselyter. And like the little yellow canary with gray on his wings, Paul too had his blemishes. You remember he said in his own words, Lest I should be exalted above measure, because of the abundance of the revelations, there hath been given me a thorn in the flesh, even the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. For this reason have I called out thrice unto the Lord, that it might be taken from me. But the Lord responded, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Both Paul and Peter were to expend their strength and forfeit their lives in the cause of truth. And to me, it has always been very significant that the Lord chose imperfect men to show the way to perfection. He did so then. He does so now, yellow canaries with gray on their wings. He calls you and me out of the world and sets us to the tasks which he would have us fulfill. The commitment is total. There is no conflict of conscience. And should we, however, stumble in the struggle, I would pray that we would call unto him, Lead us, O lead us, great molder of men, out of the darkness to strive once again. Sometimes our task may appear unnecessary, unnoticed, We may even be prone to ask, Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. Then he pointed out a tiny place and said, Here, tend that for me. I answered quickly, Oh, no, not that. Why, no one would ever see. No matter how well my work was done, not that little place for me. The word he spoke, it was not stern he answered me tenderly, Ah, little one, search that heart of thine. Art thou working for them or for me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. My prayer today is that we indeed will follow that man of Galilee, that we will praise his name, that we will order our lives so as to reflect our love, that we will remember that to us God our Father gave his Son, that for us Jesus Christ gave his life. I testify that he lives and pray that we may be worthy of such a divine gift. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. amen.